promises our teachers gave If we worked hard, if we behaved Previously on Billy Joel A to Z And I just want to say about this album, I love the Beatles and I love Billy Joel, so this is a really special album for me. And do you think they spent more money on Blow on the Nylon Curtain or on The Stranger? <laughs> oh man, that's great. God, I love that song. I really do. It's not a very conducive album cover. Okay. This guy's drinking coffee? What the hell is this? talk about the uh, album for a second in the sense of uh there's a couple of things first of all this album obviously was a departure in the sense we know of the basics but they lost richie canada and he left the band to open like a sound studio place like he didn't go to another band which is cool he just he wanted to do something different and they say that that immediately altered billy joel's sound because he says I really kind of got tired of writing songs based around a saxophone solo. So it was sort of confining, actually. Plus, the guitar player we were working with, talking about Dave Brown, who's been on the past two or three albums, is really, really good, and I wanted to give him a chance to shine more. Liberty says, The Nylon Curtain was a departure from anything Billy had done before. When we went to do this album, Billy said, Don't even think about how we're going to play this live. Whatever fits and makes a great record, that's what we're going to do. We'll figure out how to play it live later. And that's very interesting, too, because as you know, he's using his live touring band and, you know, saying, I really should be using session musicians for this, but I love you guys and I know we can work this out. And you know, Paul, that that's the reason Steely Dan stopped touring because they were putting together such intricate stuff. They're like, we, we cannot recreate this live. I mean, because they're like, we got to get into that. This this exact kind of sound. We want a crisp FM as they yeah. wrote the song FM. I love that you say that's why Steely, Steely Dan stopped touring. I mean, the Beatles are the, are the first. Yeah. I mean, go back another, you know, 14 years before Asia or whatever. I mean, the Beatles is 66. Oh, Asia was 78, 77. So yeah, another decade before. I mean, right, six, the Beatles were like, we can't tour this stuff anymore. This, you're right. You're absolutely right. And I just thought. I was, you're right. I had thought that they just wanted to stop touring, but right. How back then are you going to create, recreate Sergeant Pepper songs right on tour back then? Yeah. 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 Good point. A mix for them. I mean, I'm sure uh, Billy also dealt with his share of screaming girls, um, but he kept, he kept plowing on. No, the difference is when girls would scream at Billy's shows, they'd be like yelling at their boyfriends. Stop, stop listening to this guy. He stinks. (laughs) (laughs) let's go home this is a long concert i teed you up so now that we brought up the beatles we know how important this album is as if they started this in december of 81 you are exactly one year the anniversary of john lennon's death Mm. and you know that must have hit him hard because i mean this is kind of funny i just found this out this is fantastic before john lennon died in 1980 I don't know what the actual month was, but it was before any of this happened. Billy Joel, I don't know whether you know this, Alon. He applied for a bid to live at the Dakota, and he got turned down. You hear about this? Uh, Yeah, I read that in the biography. Oh, you did? I'd never heard about this. This is fantastic. 
it's it's all it's in the news. Billy Joel's bid for apartment in New York City turned down. Rock star Billy Joel may be singing the blues now that his application to live in an exclusive Manhattan apartment building has been turned down. An 11 member board of directors at the Dakota apartment building overlooking Central Park rejected Joel's request. Some residents had feared Joel would attract groupies. <laughs> and remember, John Lennon lives there now. Okay. So that Joel might affect groupies and also disapproved of the singer because he admitted using drugs. Believe this? Unlike John Lennon. Right. Dakota residents who serve on the board of directors on a rotating basis said they already have had their share of inconveniences from fans hanging around hoping to see residents John Lennon and Yoko Ono. Also, Lauren Bacall, Gilda Radner, and Roberta Flack also live in the Dakota. Joel was not available for comment. Guess who was on the board? Who? Yoko Ono. Oh, I was going to say Artie Rip. <laughs> that seemed to make the most sense maybe yoko was on the board i mean it's like uh i mean that's really funny he was going to live there probably for reasons i want to live close to john lennon i want to do all that if you know if he had been there that night that guy could have uh who knows what could have happened maybe another, he could have gone the opposite way another tidbit another connection between john lennon and billy joel do you guys know this is that Lennon bought a house in Cold Spring Harbor and right. he loved Billy Joel's Just the Way You Are and his records so much that Lennon was a fan of Billy's and loved probably what he saw in Billy and probably what he heard was that McCartney sense of melody, right? So my theory, of course, is that Yoko's on the board in the Dakota and she's like, we can't have another Paul in the mix, so we got to. You got to refuse the. <laughs> you we know can't those, have him doing that anymore. Well, we got to refuse the Billy Joel. I'll bit. agree with you. Anytime that people make fun of Yoko, she's awful. However, recently I just came up with a theory that it's possible, if not for John Lennon, like he he might have threw her under the bus in a way, if he didn't have her on that double fantasy album and just didn't have her in his life and force us to listen to her. She could have been known as an artistic genius. You know, I mean, but whatever her kind of art form is, if, if 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 he didn't make us and force it down our throat, she mm. we could have thought she was cool. Oh, sounds like Dave is a closet Yoko fan. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> I was just thinking about it the other day, uh, just like because you know, she, she had done something recently, I think, or maybe I read something in the 70s about some sort of you know, artistic show, like she was a performance artist and she did something that sounded really interesting. I'm like, God, you know, if people didn't hate her so much. They'd probably think she was cool. Yeah. Well, there's been some revisionism to her legacy. And of course, part of the Lennon estate, I mean, which she controls, even though Sean runs it now because she's left public life. But I don't know if you guys have seen that. This is a tangent here, but kind of related. Have you seen the Netflix documentary? about um, the making of Imagine, John Lennon's record, Imagine. Yes, I have. It's really no. interesting because they really position it as a, a a work of two, both John and Yoko, right? Like there would be no Imagine in a sense without Yoko. Like it comes from her brain and the way she thought about words and poetry. And I think there's some merit there. I mean, that some of Lennon's great solo works wouldn't have happened without her. But maybe to your point, Dave, History hasn't been kind to her, maybe for reasons that, you know, she wasn't quite the McCartney that 
worked <laughs> with for, Lennon. For, for reasons that we've already seen in that Peter Jackson thing. I mean, just, you know, she should know better and be like, John, I don't feel comfortable sitting here with you guys when you're creating. So well, screw her. They yeah. were code, but I mean, they were codependent, right? I mean, I don't care. Definitely no better. But as useless no as she look was, what you're doing to the band and the guys, you know, look what you're doing. It's true, but she's so useless in that Get Back documentary. I'll agree. But like Paul's saying, if you watch the Imagine one, she's there and it's not really formed yet, but she'll whisper things into John's ear and then the songs kind of get better. Like she somehow was working in that scenario, which is really a big surprise to me. Well, unfortunately, you're not allowed to do that in a band, you know, like, I mean, just, you know, that she shouldn't have been there for that. But I that's I can't wait to see that documentary. Now, that sounds pretty cool. I can't believe they have footage uh, of that. She was his Elizabeth Weber, let's say. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose she was. Well, Paul, the thing is, there's just too many good songs in this album. This isn't like Stormfront. Would you mind playing another song? I want to. I want. I want you to play like four songs today because I, I, I can't handle it. I, I just want to hear some music. This album is really sure. awesome, and let's just go for it this time. Can we try something? I've I've actually never played this whole song. Maybe maybe I did it once on your show, but okay, we're just gonna. All right, I'll get the cricket started, and then we'll go into the helicopter. Oh, oh, you were gonna oh. do something else? Okay. <laughs> is that what you want me to do? No, no, I actually don't. <laughs> all eight minutes of that (laughs) well if you're going to do the full eight minutes then yes but you've got to do all the sound effects too don't get excited don't say a word nobody noticed nothing was heard it was committed discreetly Handled so neatly, and it shouldn't surprise you at all. You know, break all the records, burn the cassettes. I'd be lying if I told you that I had no regrets. There were so many mistakes. But still it shouldn't surprise you at all You know I said it shouldn't surprise you at all You know Don't look now
emotions It was always within you It will always continue But it shouldn't surprise you I said it shouldn't surprise you at all You know That was fantastic. That song rules. And there is a hidden gem for you. I don't remember whether I put it on Alon, my unfindable hidden gems thing but god damn that is some hell of a song on a second side of an album nobody knows it's so interesting to hear it just on piano because it's so discordant and the changes are so weird without all the other instruments in it yeah because remember i thought the opening it's very 80s and it sounds like right out of pretty in pink i think i played that when we did the actual episode yeah, that one yeah and when I was listening to the album as a whole, I was like really into that. When that came out, it goes from um, she, uh, a room of our own into surprise. It's a really good transition. Paul, what do you, what do you think of the the way the album, the track listing? What do you think of having all, you know, what he, what he normally has, all the hits on the first side? I think it worked for me. I, I don't think I would change anything. No, I wouldn't either. I mean, uh, it's funny. It was, it was Laura. Laura wasn't a single, right? But no, the rest no. Are, uh, mostly because it has a curse word in it, I think, you know. Yeah. But I guess they could have cut that out. I, I heard a clean radio version. It's pretty seamless. Did you for real? Yeah. Oh, huh. Oh, I mean, the sequencing on the, the whole record is just masterful. I mean, and the callback, which, which we'll get to to Allentown at the end. I mean, it was just, it's just, oh, a, my goodness. Amazing. We amazing. just did. Where's the orchestra? Obviously, uh, the last episode and that you're right. That callback again, when I was listening to it today, I was getting emotional. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I have a complete different feeling about where's the orchestra now and that ending and the way it wraps up the album. Yeah. And the way he did that before with the stranger and just his love of the Beatles and that they kind of figured that out. It's really great. It is. And and thematically, isn't Allentown a more specific thematic version of where's the orchestra? I mean, it's basically like these people were sold into thinking that they had an American dream, whereas the orchestra kind of talks about that, but more in general terms, right? It's just like, wasn't I buying a different ticket here? Wasn't this supposed to be musical? Yeah, that's a wow. good point. I didn't even think about that. And of course, the people in the in the Lehigh Valley, <laughs> you know, also bought that ticket, right? I mean, it's it says it in the words, so the callback is right on point. I wonder if you even thought that out you know all these songs were written i think in order interesting and yeah. <laughs> that's even more i guess that's why the track listing is the way it is it's maybe he was just like well we should pick it up here we should because the i love the second side you know you, you got to end with good night saigon you can't you can't do anything after that and then the second side picks up with she's right on time which is such a good song too yeah, there's an interview he does on English radio from 82 where the guy's saying, like, why did you go to She's Right on Time right after Goodnight Saigon? That felt like it didn't fit there at all. And Bill was just like, well, that's the order I wrote the songs in. But he yeah, said but it, he was like, but I wanted a song that could lift it up, not too high, but something that lifts up the mood after that song. And then right. the guy was like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. But remember, if you're doing an album, 
that's on the second side. If you're listening to it on CD, then yes, it comes after Goodnight Saigon. But at that point, they're still thinking side one, side two. No, but still, you t- so you flip over your album and then you continue. Right, but then I- then when you're flipping it over, it's cool to start off, you know, hitting it again. Totally. I don't. And he likes to do that. He he likes to do that. He does that in a lot of albums that the second side picks up. And then yeah, and the second side is the personal side, much like the river of dreams. Interestingly, the second side of this record starts to talk about the, the relationship and then a room, room of our own, of course, and then surprise isn't surprises. I mean, I'm singing it now and it's, it's apparent it's a fact, but isn't it a divorce song? I mean, it's the end of the relationship, right? And surprises. Yes. Oh, right. Cause that was, he got into the motorcycle action accident and then she serves him with papers, right? While he's yeah, in the hospital, she, she right? She said, uh, here, sign away all your publishing rights to me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I thought he was polite. That music seems polite uh, when he's, even though it's angry. And that's what also makes it good that he's able to curtail his emotions and he can write it in this format. That's something else, too, because you could see him just wow. writing, um, you know, like a uh, Great Wall of China. Yeah. We could have been great. We could have been a contender. <laughs> I mean, are all his venomous songs just against the Webbers? Yeah, we've talked about that. Of course they are. He's he never loves everybody else except the about Webbers. anyone else except <laughs> Elizabeth Frank. <laughs> it's messed yeah. up. I mean, he's talking. Sorry, I, I just want to say about surprises having just played it. He it's an amazing device because he's speaking to someone in the song, right? Uh, he's saying, well, let's say now it's apparent. Now it's a fact. So marshal your forces for another attack. But he's speaking to himself. You were so young and naive. I know it's hard to believe. He's saying, Billy, wake up. This Now now you have all the information. How has this surprised you for this? Now it's not going to surprise anymore. He's talking to himself here. He's slapping himself in the face. Yeah. And this woman has been letting him have it for so many years where it was going to come to this. I think, didn't wasn't it, Alon, that his friends told him, what's the matter with you? <laughs> How is this a surprise for you? She's in, she's kind of a bitch. Yeah. Well, they'll always say that when it's nearing the breakup time. And then they just yeah. hope that they don't get back together because then they have to say, oh, I didn't mean it when I said that. Right. She's cool. You know, I was just going with you, whatever you were feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's cool. I, I got something for you. Ready for this? This is hilarious. You want to hear the eight track tape listing for this? Yes. Now, for some reason, I guess this must have probably been the last time that they were making eight-track tapes in 1982, but it was still a thing. This is the best. There, This order is a mess. It does open with Allentown, and then it goes to a room of our own, and where's the orchestra? Okay, that's the first track. And the second track is She's Right on Time and Good Night Saigon. The third that's track nice. is oh. Laura and Scandinavian Skies. And here's my favorite one. The fourth track is Pressure, Surprises, and Where's the Orchestra Again? <laughs> wow. It can and only it be says, better. <laughs> yeah, right. And it says on the thing, due to the tape cartridge requirements, one selection has been repeated. Which one? <laughs> find out. <laughs> find gonna, out which one, kids. I wasn't going to tell you guys. I was going to be like, hey, do, do you know what the problem with this i'm seeing if you knew that i said where's the orchestra twice. what they should have done though which would have been much better is just plugged in scenes from an italian restaurant part two <laughs> you're right and speaking of which paul what is it this this they said this is the first album to ever be digitally recorded what does that actually mean it wasn't the first album to go on cd what what does that mean 
Right. So up until this time, well, and and still in this time in 1982, most records were being made on analog magnetic tape, right? A, a technology that actually came about because Bing Crosby uh, did not want to do his radio show live. He wanted to be on the golf course. So Ampex, the company based in California at the time, were able to develop this magnetic tape, which I think had a military history before, and allow him or anyone else to do pre-recorded radio shows. Uh, so radio did not have to be live. And the flexibility of that format and the fidelity of that format developed over the decades until it hit really its zenith, I'd say, in the early 80s. You were able to have Michael Jackson's Thriller record, for example. They tied together two big machine, two big tape machines. So imagine one tape machine has 24 tracks on it. That means you're able to simultaneously record 24 different inputs. And this, and they were able to sync that up in real time with another tape machine, They were meaning they were able to record at the same time with another machine that also had 24 tracks on it. So in a sense, you, you were able to have 48-track recording. Now, the technology posed some glitches here or there, but it was Phil Ramone who was an early digital recording pioneer, which meant I think it came out of the Barbra Streisand date that he did. He did a, a couple of Barbra Streisand sessions for the movies. But anyway, Phil Ramone kind of was one of the early pioneers of digital recording. And at the time, they weren't recording to hard drives. They were recording to digital tape. So it 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 didn't have the magnetism, I think, of analog tape, meaning what you printed on the tape showed up as zeros and ones, more or less. Whereas on analog tape, and forgive the long tangent here, but on analog tape, what you recorded onto the tape in a sound waveform exists on the tape. With digital tape, you did not have to worry about that tape degrading over time as long as it was properly stored and properly handled. With analog tape, you could only have so many ge generations of audio fidelity and the tape would start to degrade in quality and fidelity from the original. With digital tape, you could copy it, much like we have digital technology today. If you make a CD to a CD transfer, you're not losing any quality or fidelity. The same with MP3s, on and on and on. Wow, so I, I, I didn't realize that. It's uh, I didn't know that happened with audio. I mean, I just certainly knew it would happen with like a cassette tape or something. If you kept playing it, you were eventually going to lose some, gener like you said, generations. generations I used to yeah. have that problem with three-quarter inch video that you know i'm old enough that i used to have to work on three quarter inch video and every time we would take an edit or play it it lost generations which is why i have like so much stuff from college that's choppy based from existence yeah yeah i mean <laughs> and it, it sucks actually, i didn't realize they came up with a way in 1982 to not have to worry about that that's fascinating yeah i mean actually just to simplify it remember we all remember those vhs tapes right i'm sure a lot of listeners do too same thing with vhs right just like thing. three quarter right you'd have those glitches where you where you you know would watch the tape the, the third fourth time or record over it and you'd have a little static for something or there'd be this weird bar on your tv that goes from up and down and you'd be like what is happening to this tape that is an analog magnetic tape that and this similar to audio magnetic tapes They'd have to be handled properly, stored properly. They were a little more fragile. The technology by 1981, 82 was robust enough that these tapes were, you know, were robust. And like I said, they were stretching the limits of what was possible. But digital offered not only 
more opportunities of fidelity. It offered more opportunities at recording time. And of course, digital technology has afforded us tiny hard drives with tons and tons of information on them in our pockets. And this was really the very beginning of that. And it, it's the reason at the time, because it was still made as an album, that there's only four songs on the first side, because Goodnight Saigon is a seven, eight minute piece. Yeah. But he always and, told us you can't fit that much on a groove. Yeah. I mean, and again, Phil Ramone was ahead of the curve because wasn't 52nd Street one of the first, if not the first compact See, disc? Yep. Yep. Printed? Okay. Yes, it was. So. Yeah. And, and they probably had to remaster that in a sense. And- uh, see, that was the first CD ever printed. And then Born in the USA was the first one printed in the US. I see. Okay. Interestingly. Interesting. So printed in the USA. Now, I got one other thing to say before we get to the rankings about a couple of the songs. There's a, this guy that we talk about a lot, Chuck Klosterman, who wrote the this book, uh, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, where he talks a lot about Billy Joel. He makes a case that when he addresses the Beatles link to the nylon curtain, he says that Laura and where's the orchestra really are as good as what's on the white album. And he says, this is because the first song says things so directly that it's words shouldn't make sense to anyone else. And yet they do. While the latter is so metaphorically vague that anybody should be able to understand what he's implying. And that is a huge testament to at least those two songs in this album, if you truly are comparing it to anything on the White Album, I'm sure if Billy Joel was alive today, he'd be through. Oh, right. Sorry. Oh, you. <laughs> what? You've heard it here first. <laughs> I think I think he's right, though. I think a lot of the songs in this album, if you told me some of these were hidden Beatles songs from that era, I would I would totally believe it. They, they stand up to a lot of those songs. Do you have, Paul, do you have any idea, like if you took each song, would you know what Beatles song it may have been intended to be or sounds like. Let, for instance, we know uh, Laura could be very much like Sexy Sadie. Sexy Sadie, what have you done? You made a fool of everyone. I believe they've said, and Scandinavian Skies, Blue Jay Way. Do you have any other examples for some of the other songs? Well, yeah, I, I think those are the two big Beatley ones, but there's touches of Lennon, his vocal homage to John Lennon all over this album. Actually, even in Allentown, you, you wouldn't hear it if we didn't sing, but all that little, hey, all that kind of Lennony stuff exists all over this record. It's well, I heard night. that wasn't the plan. That was no, apparently I, it just happened. He just did it. He was kind of channeling him. And then Phil was like, let's just keep it. It sounds great. Yeah. I mean, you know, where's the orchestra feels like 
melodically it goes somewhere else, but it feels like that's where McCartney comes in on the record. And he's, you know, once there was a way, you know, to get back home, right? He, he's kind of having his epilogue the way McCartney did on Abbey Road there. There's, I, there's just so many. There, there are all the Beatles songs in there yet and, and none of them, right? And they exist in all these tunes. It's, it's an homage in a, in a way, but he's absorbing all these influences from all over the Beatles' career. I mean, A Room of Our Own feels like it could be an early Beatles, uh, Beatles song as well. Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, Good Night Saigon, the chorus, sounds kind of like Carry That Weight. From there you own. go. Right, right. There you go. Can make the argument for any of them. And on that note, let's go to the ranking for the nylon curtain everybody it's time all right everybody loves the ranking segment and everybody lo- enjoys dave justow's take on the rankings of every album and everybody's going to enjoy this one uh, <laughs> i got a whopper for you i will start things off as always because, again, I'm a little off uh, so than everybody else. All right. Is everybody ready? Yes. No. Do it. There are nine songs on this album, not ten. There are nine songs, and I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to hit you with something. I'm going to give it to you. You're not going to like it. You're going to be upset by it. It's going to make you angry. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you my number nine, and some of this changed after uh, Paul just played, but my number nine Get ready. Good night, Saigon. Wow. Well, we know what side Dave was on in that war. <laughs> wow. I love the song for what it is, but I, if I never heard it again, I'd be fine. And yet, when it gets to the chorus and we'd all go down together, and, I, and if I was at the live concert, I'm all in on it, and it's awesome, but it's just too sad and depressing, and I don't like it. And when I'm listening to the album as a whole, I don't want to hear it. So unfortunately, even though it's a really interesting song, it was a great idea and it was well executed. I have to put that at number nine. At number eight, I have a room of our own, which Alan and I got to hear live. We made it back just from the bathroom, just in time, which was very interesting. You know, I mean, that's a. I'm glad we were there that night. Right? Then we thought every time we went, we were going to be treated to something like that. <laughs> mm. You were in the bathroom uh, together. Well, yeah. I mean, we're just, wait, we would all go applying? down together. <laughs> Number seven is Scandinavian Skies, which I am pretty much assuming everybody has a little lower. Six is Laura. And I think I had that lower for a while, but I, I put it up a little higher now that I've been listening to it. I, but I've never really cared for it. And then the rest of them are really terrific. The five songs could go anywhere. Surprises. I think I could actually move that now that Paul played it again and just hearing it again today with uh, She's Right on Time. I can go either way between four and five. She's Right on Time is really great, too. And I think the reason that's higher is because that fantastic video. Really great video. The guy makes an album that's real serious and real Beatles-esque and he's taking it and then he and then he makes a comedy video for the album knowing full well let's mix it up videos are going to be the shit this will be smart years from now so I love that about it Hmm. and I got to tell you since we've done the episode where's the orchestra would have been nine 
before I heard it again, understood it a little more, but now it's at three. That really is a beautiful song that I've never liked for 40 years and now have a great appreciation for it. And then it goes pressure at number one, Allentown. For me, Dave Dresco, I can't help myself. I guarantee Paul's will be quite different. Yeah, that's, that's quite a list. Mine is quite different as well. I mean, the thing is, when Paul was playing Allentown, I was so singing along and loving it. I absolutely love that song. So what am I going to do? All right, Alon. It was always within you. It will always continue. It shouldn't surprise you at all. You know, I say it shouldn't What do you have for us today? And you say it's different than mine, yes? Uh, quite, quite. I think with this particular album, the way it is, the kind of album it is, I think, yeah, I would say it would make sense for the three of us to completely have different takes on it. Yeah. So I'm going to start mine at number nine with A Room of Our Own. I knew that was, there. I figured that was everybody's last one. And that's why I hit the, uh, the what with a uh, good night side guy. <laughs> Uh, number eight, I have surprises. And I honestly, I love all these songs. This is one of those albums where it's it's not like there's too many duds here. They're all great. Number seven, Scandinavian Skies. Number six, She's Right on Time. I was kind of surprised I had so many songs from the second half of the album at the bottom because I love them, but that's just how it shook out. Number five is Goodnight Saigon. So I like it more than you do, Dave. I think, yeah, maybe the length of it uh, kind of hurts it a little bit for yeah. me. Number four, where's the orchestra? And I was close to putting that higher, but that's where it's staying. Number three, I have pressure. I really like when Billy is just angry and crazy, and he's very crazy in the song, and the synthesizers are crazy. It's just mayhem, and I like that. And it also has a good music video. At number two, Allentown. Oh, my goodness. Which is a great song. And speaking what of is music... leading to... <laughs> Well, we'll get to that in a second. But since you mentioned the music videos, I just want to say that I saw this interview from a Billy Joel's from about 2016 or so, which I had not seen before. But when we did the Allentown episode, we talked about the music video a lot and just how gay it was. Yeah, it's just men showering. And so when Billy Joel's talking about this album, he mentions Allentown. He's like, he's like, that song had the gayest video. Oh, <laughs> he got it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this guy, R Russell Mulcahy is like a great director, but he had the opportunity to get a bunch of naked guys taking a shower. And he took that opportunity. <laughs> and he goes, I didn't pick up on it at the time, but I just watched it. And I was like, man, that's a gay video. <laughs> so it's so that's funny what happened to Billy that. Squire too. I, I didn't see time. it at the time, but it ruined my career. <laughs> And so my number one song is Laura. I think wow. it's just awesome. Just an awesome song. I love it. That is shocking. Wow. Number one song is Laura. Wow. Why? I guess What's it's it just like, about it? I have a really good relationship with my mom. So I think it's funny to listen to someone who does not. Billy Joel. Huh. That's it. That's it. I just, no, I love it. It sounds like it sounds like a Beatles song. I love the rhyme of it. It's got such a good plotting rhythm to it. And I like that he has the F-bomb in it, and that he's angry, and that... I, I think it's just like all the Beatles influences within that song. Mm, really, yeah. it's very much a John Lennon song. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's a shocker. I thought that would have been Paul's probably favorite. I would have been like, ah, oh, look at this guy. So that is uh, shocking. I never really... I always kind of got angry at that song when I used to hear it, because it was right after Allentown and Between Pressure. So I'm like, eh. 
should I just stop it and go right to pressure? Uh, you know, I just didn't get it. And again, I have such a much better appreciation for this album as a whole 40 years later. It's hard to get when you're a kid. And if this is your first Billy Joel album that you buy. So, let's see what our musician friend, Paul Lauren, has to say about his rankings. This ought to be very interesting. Paul, the floor is yours. I'll, I'll just say, like, what Alon said, I'll echo his sentiment. That there's no duds in this bunch here. But I'm, I'm going to also put number nine, uh, Room of Our Own, also at number nine for me. Of all the, of all the not thematically maybe, but of all the tunes, it feels kind of musically out there in a way it is just a kind of swinging rock and roll song uh which is which is cool and i think it feels very the most live it could have been on glass houses or something you know it, it has that kind of feel to it kind of yeah really interesting tune uh so that's nine eight for me is Prussia! Um, really <laughs> i know i don't i think well, all right. funny enough, in, back in the USSR, McCartney says, let me hear your balalaikas ringing out. And on this song, you actually have a Russian balalaika troupe. So it's all full circle there. But the song for me, uh, you have to learn to pace yourself. It, uh, David Bowie could sing this song. Pressure. It's got that. You're just like everybody. It feels more affected in a way, and he's trying to kind of be new wave or I don't know. It's kind of, it doesn't really hit it for me. Maybe it was left over from Glass Houses. May it's got that feel. It's got that '80s feel to it. It's a killer song. I mean, how can I? It, this is an embarrassment of riches here. This record, but. Yeah, you know, this is all just speaking about what is moving me today, uh, this week, perhaps. So that's eight for me. Seven is Scandinavian Skies, seven. We all we all have that at seven. Yeah, that, that's cool. It's a cool thing. The sounds are amazing. The cello, the, the strings section, and the way they're working in with the synths and the vocal effects. I don't know, but it feels like it's trying too hard with studio trickery perhaps or effects or sound effects or i don't know maybe he's trying a little too hard to be beatlesy there we were flying over scandinavian sky i don't know uh that's seven for me today as i said six for me is a good night saigon oh which grieves me to say because i love that song so much i love it the the It's like that and where's the orchestra the only times on this record he's singing in that voice. We left his inmates from an asylum. That reviewer is right. He's so vulnerable here. And we were sharp as sharp as knives. Oh, it's gorgeous, Melody. And we were so Oh, 
heartbreaking song. Mm. That's six, though, for me. <laughs> I think maybe because, I don't know, that chorus. And we would all go down. There's nothing that really separates that chorus from a piano man. It feels like a drinking chorus, doesn't no. it? Yeah, I guess that's yeah. yeah. That's the one part I like. <laughs> it's like an Irish pub kind of chorus. Yeah. Five. What is Paul Lawrence top five on this very special album? Find out next week on Billy Joel A to Z.